Well, last week we took a break uh, for Easter from our series that we started back in March, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. So this has been a spiritual checkup for us, just as a medical doctor does his diagnosis through tests and questions, Dr. Jesus is examining us, and he does it with tests and questions. Just to review a little bit, test number one is do you thirst for God? Do you want God? Not do you believe in God, or do you like God, or uh, do you pray to God? Uh, Most everybody does that. Do you want God? You want a relationship with Him. That's number one. Test number two, are you governed increasingly by God's Word? Is the Bible guiding your life? Is it getting into your life? Is it growing in its influence? Number three, are you more loving? Are you growing in your compassion for others? Is 1 Corinthians 13 becoming more of a reality in your life? Test number four, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Are you aware of His presence on a daily, even hourly basis? He is with you. Are you aware of that? And all these messages are on our website if you missed any of them. So uh, if if you missed one, I'd like to have you go back and see them, uh, hear them. Today is test number five. Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of people? I need a volunteer this morning. If someone would come up here, and I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but uh, I need a volunteer. Who's going to do it? Nathan, thank you for volunteering. (laughs) I got the wrong Nathan, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you take this. Now, on these uh, eight-foot tables, I have ten items. Okay? What I want you to do is put this, what's it say? Temporary. Temporary. I want you to put a sticker that says temporary on whatever items are temporary. They're not going to last forever. Okay? So start over there, and I'm going to talk about them as you do that. The first one is clothes. That's uh, my fancy jacket over there. Uh, is that going to last? Nope. That's temporary. Uh, the next one is, I have to explain this one, is Metamucil. And I don't want to hear it. No comments, okay? Metamucil is representing health. Is your health going to last? Nope, that's temporary. Uh, the next one is a $10 bill. That's money. Money is temporary. How about your car? Is that going to last? Nope. Drive it off a lot, it's already deteriorating. Uh, a barn. Barn going to last? Nope, going to fall down. Okay, over here then. Nathan, you're such a good guy. Thank you. Um, I have some books there representing education. Is education going to last? No. Have a hammer there representing work. Is work going to last? Nope, we hope not. Computer representing technology. Nope, that's not going to last. Sunglasses representing vacations. They never last long enough. And of course, a house is temporary as well. Everything before you, uh, you may be seated, but I'm going to grab you in just a moment here yet. Everything you see here is temporary. It's all going to fade away. Now, what happens is we often invest ourselves in these things because when we acquire them, they make us feel better. Got a new house, got a new car. And it gives us that thrill, but the thrill never lasts. It always fades. And so everything we acquire is going to be that way. And if you are living for what you see up here, you are living for what is temporary. And that word temporary is not a word you'll ever see on ads on television. You'll never hear that word in the temptations that play out in your soul. Satan will never whisper in your ear, that's temporary. He'll never do that. It is the word that might have saved the rich fool in Jesus' story if only he had placed stickers on his barns and crops and success. Temporary, temporary, temporary. But he didn't, and God called him an idiot. 
And I would suggest you go home and put some stickers on your refrigerator, your microwave, your toilet, your iPod, your bank statement, your TV and treadmill, and your grill. Temporary, temporary, temporary. There's only one thing in this room that is not temporary. There's only one item that you will be allowed to take with you from this life into the next. And I have a sticker for that. I've got it here somewhere. Maybe I don't. It was temporary. <laughs> You're bad. I hate it when this happens. Anyway, I was going to stick a sticker on Nathan that says eternal. There's only one thing in this room that's eternal, and that is people. Uh, people will go from this life into the next, and nothing else will. All this, the rest of it's going to be burned up. So when you get to the end of your life, and you're going to take your last breath, what do you want your life to have been about? What's going to make you rich in the eyes of God? These things or people? Wise people build their lives around what is eternal and squeeze in what is temporary. But I see just the opposite a whole lot. Build your life around what is eternal. Of course, God is eternal, and people are made in the image of God, so they are eternal. None of these things are. Don't live for these. On a scale of 1 to 10, so where are you at? Are you more concerned about things or people? Cars and success and education and money? Or are you more concerned about Tim and John and Mary and Frank? Where are you at on that scale? Are you growing? Now, this test has actually two sides to it. Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of people? Temporal would be the physical needs, food, water, education, health, and shelter. Some of the things you see up here, uh, these things are not evil, even though they're temporary. We want people to have their physical needs met and, and cared for their temporal needs. Spiritual, then, of course, are the eternal matters, life with and in God, life as we were created to have fellowship with him and our eternal existence with him. And the Bible clearly teaches that we are to be concerned about both as Christians. Jesus often demonstrated dual concern by healing people, but also teaching them at the same time. The early church preached the gospel wherever they went. They brought eternal salvation to people, but they were also concerned about the temporal needs of people. In Acts 4, it says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that? For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They took it seriously, caring for people. They preached the gospel. They wanted to have eternal life, and then they helped people, both the eternal and the temporal. But which one's more important? If I can give someone a good life here on earth, or a better life here on earth, or the other option is to give them eternal life, eternal life with God, which is more important? It's pretty obvious. When I was younger, I remember the church putting a whole lot of time and money and prayer into missions and evangelism. And the churches I went to were not so strong in the social ministries. And most conservative evangelical churches were like that. I mean, that was the temporal. The spiritual, the eternal destiny was all important. And it was really out of balance toward the eternal to the neglect of the temporary. Now, I see that pendulum swinging to the opposite extreme, and now the emphasis is on social action and helping the poor and helping children, especially locally. In our community, we have fundraisers for people's needs if they have them, and that is definitely a part of our mission. 
James 2 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So we are to care for those things. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So yes, we should be concerned about people, people's temporal needs. We want to feed people, make sure their needs are cared for. We want to have people to have access to education and opportunity. But I believe we have largely lost our concern for the eternal. Many churches have. Many Christians have. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Yes, the body is important, the temporal, but the eternal is all important. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. That is the most important gift we can give and the most important gift Jesus has given to us. There's an act in Las Vegas, maybe you've heard of it, Penn and Teller. They do illusion with comedy. They were on TV just this past week. Penn is an atheist. And he has never been shy about his atheism. He's written some articles, even books about it. And yet, in an online video blog, he shares a story about the time a gracious Christian businessman gave him a Bible as a gift. And Penn goes on to use that story as an opportunity to point out that Christians who don't evangelize... Now, this is not the best video. I want to show you just a little bit of this. It's not the best visually, but, but he carries a very important message. Remember, this is an atheist. Let's have it. Now that's an atheist. And he says, I do not respect people who do not proselytize. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people are not going to have eternal life and you don't think it's worth telling them because it might be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them? 
How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and then you don't tell them? That's an atheist. And I know it's easier to give money. I know it's easier to lend a hand. I know it's easier to help people and the, their physical needs. Or, and it's easier to be kind than it is to give people the gospel. I, I'll admit that. And some are not ready to hear it. I'll admit that as well. In fact, Jesus talks about the fields being ripe under the harvest, which makes me think that there are some people who are ripe and others who are not ripe. Some are like green apples in the early summer. They're just not ready. And they don't want to hear the gospel, and they don't want to hear about Jesus because it threatens their autonomy. So we should go for the red apples, the, the fields that are ripe. Who are the, who are the red apples, the ripe apples? The one who's going through a bad time. Because, because they know that what they're doing isn't working. They might be open to a new way. Or a new parent with a new child might be ripe. Or someone who's moved to the area, new to the area, it'd be a new phase for them. Or any major change in someone's life. Or it might be someone that you've developed a good relationship with and they trust you and they'd be open. They would re be ripe about hearing about your faith. So don't bring your green apple mother-in-law to church. All right? Making church into a place where green apples feel comfortable is the worst thing we can do. Okay? A lot of churches want to make green apples feel comfortable, and they'll bend over backwards and, and water down the gospel so, you know, we won't offend them. Red apples just need to be connected to authentic, God-loving church. And if red apples see Jesus in us, they will respond. I read of one church that has a bench in the lobby called the Fool's Bench. Got its name because sometimes when church people would invite their friends to a service, they would stand out in the lobby waiting for them, sometimes as long as 15 minutes into the service and their friend doesn't show up. And they're heartbroken because they've been praying for this friend or their boss, and they, this person said they were going to come, but they didn't show. And that'll happen. But boy, it's a small price to pay when eternity's hanging in the balance. St. Jude's is a wonderful ministry. They do what Jesus commanded. They care for the broken and the vulnerable. So yes, go ahead and support it. We want those kids to have the best life they can have while on earth, kids that are born with disabilities. But I'll say this, even more... I want those kids to have an eternal home, an eternal future, and not all of them will. What does it matter if they have a better life here but, and then a hellish life hereafter? What does it matter if your children are successful in this life and they get barns and cars and education and all these things that we value, but then they fail in the next life? So the great bulk of my money, personally, is going to go to missions and churches that lead people to Jesus. The bulk of my prayer is going to be for people's relationship to Christ. And yes, I'll pray for marriages that are on the rocks, and I'll pray for people that are struggling, and I'll pray for the sick. But my prayer is always, always lead them to Jesus. Keep them in Jesus, whatever their need is. Um, a couple years ago, the movie Martian came out. I'm sure some of you saw it. It's about one man, Matt Damon, left behind on the planet Mars. And showed all the effort and the courage and the tough decisions and all the work involved in saving just one man's life, just one person. What would you do to save your neighbor? Do we care? Are we growing in our concern? See, one of the huge heresies in America today, and this is just, I think, destroying churches, is universalism. It says that most everyone save. Most everyone. Hitler may not make it. Serial killers may not make it. Hillary may not make it. Trump may not make it. You know, there's a few that may not make it, but most everyone is saved. And certainly everyone in Mount Pulaski, because we're such nice people. That is false. That is a heresy. First of all, no one is righteous. No one 
No one is saved by being nice. In fact, psychology is now saying that 98% of us are addicted and we haven't found the other 2%. No one is righteous. We've all got our hang-ups. And the second thing, Jesus, from his own lips, said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. A sobering? Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not everyone is saved. On Sundays after church, I go home, I see kids that are not in church. More and more, we have kids, a generation that doesn't even know, know the name of Jesus. And I want to spank the parents. Breaks my heart. That's why we do Big Wednesday. That's why we do youth programs. That's why we have a Sunday school. It's not just a nice thing to do. Eternity is at stake. But most people, many even in the church, are universalists and pretty much take the attitude, I don't care what Jesus says. I don't care what the Bible says. I know God will find a way to save everyone because they're good people. Well, then you're smarter than Jesus. Our mission as a church is to make disciples who love God, love people, and reach the world. That's on our logo. That's on the front of our bulletin. And that means if you are not growing in your love for God, we are failing as a church. If you are not growing in your love for people, we are failing. If you don't have a heart for the world, for reaching this world, we are failing. And it is so easy for individuals and churches, and I'm talking to myself as much as anyone here, so easy for us to lose sight of our mission, get caught up in all the peripherals of life. There's a Wall Street blog in a while back, it reviewed some of the greatest product launch, blund launch blunders in recent times, including Google Glass, Burger King, Satisfries, the new Coke, and Windows Vista. And the article said many of these product gaffes were the result of a company losing focus of what they do best. For instance, the Colgate kitchen entree lineup. Yeah, the toothpaste people in 1982 introduced frozen meals with the name Colgate. Don't remember that? That's because Colgate, it bombed, and Colgate had forgotten who they were. Harley-Davidson started marketing cologne, wine coolers, and aftershaves. They all bombed. Clairol came out with touch of yogurt shampoo, which caused confusion as some people started eating their shampoo for breakfast. I think that's tongue-in-cheek, but that's what it said. There's Frito-Lays. Their foray into the lip balm industry in 2005. The article said, while Cheetos has been a popular snack for more than six decades, Cheetos-flavored lip balm failed to catch on with consumers. You think? They forgot who they were. They lost focus. And I'm going to suggest to you today that no other organization, no other group has what we have. Our product is more important than any other product. No other group has eternal life as their mission. The church is the most important institution on earth today, unless eternity doesn't matter. We're more important than any group you can think of because of our product. And we dare not lose our focus. I recently read a book entitled Code Girls. It's an account of the World War II women involved in breaking the codes of the Germans and the Japanese. So vital to our war effort. These women knew when they were unable to break the codes, lives were lost. And so they worked diligently, tenaciously, 
even desperately. They knew men were dying every day while they were trying to figure out the codes. They were doing everything to win the war and to save lives. And they were just one segment, of course. The whole nation was involved in, in winning that war. But even that is for the temporal. We're in a much greater war than World War II. The stakes are much higher. So how dare we lose our focus? How dare we get involved in petty things, petty concerns, even petty arguments when people are dying without Christ? Acts 10 says of Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now Cornelius is a red apple. He's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, but he believes in God, he prays, he's moral, he's generous, and then describes many of your neighbors. They're not necessarily Christ follower, but, but they do some good things. And throughout the Bible, non-followers are not necessarily irrevocably wicked. They, they're open to God's leading. So non-believers have a spiritual dimension to them. Everyone has a sense of right and wrong. Most people today pray. And maybe their sense of wrong is distorted, but they have that sense. Everyone seeks meaning and purpose in their life, and they may be seeking in the wrong ways, but they're seeking for it. Everyone has a God gap built into them, and they may be fighting it, but it's still there. So God is already at work in people's lives. People are a lot more open to talking about spiritual matters than we think they are. There's a lot of red apples. Down verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Peter's a Christian. He's praying. Notice Cornelius prayed back in verse 1 and 2. He prayed regularly in verse 3 and 4. talks about him praying, and God speaks to both of them and brings about this encounter because prayer makes a difference. Prayer is the most practical thing we can do. In Acts, there are 23 instances of prayer, and then we wonder how they were able to turn the world upside down. They had the power of God. If you pray for witness opportunities to witness, you'll get them. I almost want to guarantee this. You pray for an opportunity to witness, God will give it to you. I knew a lady, happened to be my first wife, so I knew her pretty well. She was the most fearful woman I ever, a person I knew when it comes to evangelism. She knew she should witness, she wanted to witness, but she'd feel guilty about not doing it, and it was so hard for her. I never thought she'd overcome that until she got into a small group. And they did a most loved list, and they'd list three to five people that they would start praying for them, three to five people that needed Jesus. And so she started praying for opportunities to witness, and lo and behold, she gets an email from an old friend who's in crisis, Beth, not churched, kind of like Cornelius, believes, good person, but not a Christian. Opportunity to witness comes because she prayed for her. A foreign exchange student she had gotten to know years before lives in Europe. Out of the blue! He emails her. He's an agnostic, but an opportunity to witness because she prayed for it. In our text, Peter's praying. Cornelius shows up. God will give you those opportunities. You have to ask. Going on, verse 11. He, Peter, saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as the reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. He's a Jew. He says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Then down in verse 28, Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit 
a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Cornelius is a non-Christian. He's ripe. He, he's ready to hear the gospel. He's not the problem. The problem is Peter. Peter had to be convinced. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile and certainly not eat with them. So number three in your outline, sometimes God has to convince his own people to speak to others. Acts 10 is not just about the conversion of Cornelius to Jesus. It's also about the conversion of Peter to share the gospel. And God sends a vision to convince him. Well, what would it take to convince us? How many Corneliuses are ready to hear the gospel? How many red apples? No one's going. I was at one church where a lady paid a friend of hers $20 to come to church. She did what? Yeah, paid her to come to church. It worked. The lady's friend and her kids actually got involved. I'm not sure about the method, but it's an attitude that says we will do anything to snatch people from the darkness. Do you hear, hear about the teenager in the news this past week? Her mother used a taser to get him out of bed to go to Easter church. <laughs> Mom denies it, and I wouldn't suggest that, moms. But it's a passion. I, I like a passion that says, I will do anything. I will do anything to change your eternal destiny. A young man named Brian invited a friend to Easter. His friend said, okay. 8.30 Easter morning, Brian goes over to this friend's house. His friend was still in bed. So Brian goes into his bedroom, gets on top of him, starts shaking him, bouncing up and down. He said, you said you'd go with me this morning, so you get up and go. And uh, yeah, he got up, he went. Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of people? People are the only thing in this world that are eternal. What will get our minds off of ourselves and off of our temporal issues, off of these, these temporal issues we see before us today, uh, I mean, what will it take for me to understand that uh, my car is not as important as somebody's eternal salvation? Is the harvest in my barn more important than the eternal harvest? So today I'm going to ask one thing that every one of us can do, and it doesn't matter how old or young you are or what stage of life, you and I know probably dozens of people who are facing a Christless eternity. Certainly dozens that are unchurched. So I want you to think of a few names and just make a commitment to pray for them regularly. And you might want to even choose a missionary. Uh, Matt and Chelsea Tremere attended here a few years ago, and they're now missionaries. And they asked Ellen and I to pray for them once a month on the 20th. So that's on my calendar every 20th of the month. to Pray for them. You can do that. But right now... We're just going to have a little time of quiet and think of a few people or missionaries that you would pray for and uh, pray for them. Just bow your head, take a few minutes, and we're just going to be quiet. So let's do that right now. Amen. Now we're going to show a video from Myanmar. Uh, 
one of the missionaries we support is Lazarus Fish, doing an amazing work. All, they did orphanage, they had school, evangelism. And Rob Powell, one of our elders, you'll see him in the video, was over there just a few weeks ago to uh, participate in the graduation from their seminary. So uh, we just wanted you to see this. And this would be a, one missionary and their work that you could be praying for.